short uh so pay attention can you afford uh everyday conversation decision making breakdown point of views of course he say she say see how we play real life issues hit the replay debate in politics what sport you profit with today's world news food for thought so come get a plate pull up All right, ladies and gentlemen, I want to welcome y'all to another episode of the Day Late Dollar Short Podcast. As always, it's your host, it's your boy Martin. I'm here again with my partner, Marlon. How are you doing today, sir? Good. How are you, brother? Man, I, I'm, I'm living well, sir. Getting relaxed, enjoying a good relaxation day for the first one in a long time. Uh, just just doing doing house duties, taking it easy. Hey, man, so I bought being an adult. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. So for this episode, we are joined by none other than uh, my personal hero, my role model, uh, just my my guy's been there for me since day one. Uh, my father, Marlon DeFello Senior, yeah, uh, Mister uh, Former Police Chief of New Orleans Police Department, forty years experience. Dad, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, guys, for having me. I appreciate the uh, the opportunity to come on and share some thoughts and some experiences I've had over the years. Thank you. Absolutely. Look, we, we appreciate you coming on and making the time. I know we both know you're, you're a busy man. So taking this time out for us is definitely appreciated. No, thank you. Thank you for having me. So jumping right into it. Um, the one topic that's been kind of on all, all, all news cycles is has been the Derek Chauvin trial uh, for the, the murder of George Floyd at this point. Uh, it's come to both sides have rested their arguments. Uh, Derek Chauvin did not testify. And so now we're at kind of the waiting game to see what happens. We'll probably, you know, we're going to wait on a verdict until it's reached and given out. And, you know, we'll see what happens from there. But given your experience and given your, your background as chief of police in, in New Orleans, of all places, somewhere that has a very intertwined history with crime and city policing and there's, you know, the community and things like that. Looking at the case as it's progressed from when it first happened May of last year to where we are now, you know, looking at use of force first, I guess, when you see what happened and you see the, the officer standing by Chauvin kneeling on his neck for nine minutes, how, as someone in your position who I'm sure evaluated officers and went through those things, when you look at that, what do you see personally and professionally? Oh, it's heart-wrenching. Uh, I saw the same thing that America saw and the, and the world saw, where you had a, a had police officers who who engaged an individual uh, and, in my estimation, did use excessive force. You know, I have 40 years of police experience uh, in, in New Orleans, and uh, the use of force is taught uh, uh, very stringently and aggressively in, in police academies on when, when can you use what degree of force can be used to stop a threat? <clears throat> and in looking at the video of George Floyd, looking at the reason why the police were even called in the first place, we're talking about a misdemeanor. Uh, they've es- they escalated this case to the point where it is today in terms of the officers not uh, using reasonable force, not stopping the force when the, the, thr- the threat did not occur. And most importantly, you have a man on the ground who's begging for his life, a man who's telling you that he can't breathe, that his his breathing, his airway is obstructed. Uh, those are signs that would have told those officers to stop the, the force immediately. Not just Chauvin, but the other officers who stood around who were equally as guilty or uh, uh, as culpable as Chauvin to stand there and do nothing uh, it's just as bad as engaged in the action itself. And so when you look at this case where Chauvin was, tri- was, was uh, arrested, indicted, and stood trial, uh, yeah, that was the appropriate measure to take. Let me just say, there are over 18,000 police departments in America. The vast majority of police officers uh, don their uniform every morning, or every evening, and go out for the right reasons. They go out there to protect the citizens. They understand what their role is in terms of being a public service. We service the public. 
That is our responsibility. When you put that badge on, you take an oath of office that you will uphold the laws of the Constitution, the state, and the city, that you're there for the people. Now, there's a segment of, of, of the police population who, who may think otherwise, whose, whose ideology on, on, on providing police services is totally wrong, it's totally crooked. And the fact that those are the offices that we have to address and to eliminate from police departments across America. Those are the officers who choose to do wrong or the officers who choose to violate the rights of citizens. And those are the officers that need to be addressed and uh, held accountable almost immediately. And that's why when you look, and let, let me go back, Chauvin, this was not his first action right. in terms of uh, excessive force on citizens. Mm -hmm. Police departments across America ought to have what they call an early warning system. And you get to identify those problematic officers before you get to an incident with George Floyd, where you have an officer who starts off with discourtesy, unprofessionalism, um, and you can go in and be and, and uh, have behavior modification to before you get to excessive force, before you get to where you, someone's life is taken, and you deal with that person. So you don't wait until this uh, this incident before you say, "Oh, we got a problem." No, early warning systems are designed in many police departments to identify those officers well before this incident with George Floyd. So in instances where there are early warning systems, and I you know just from reading different articles and doing my research, a lot of times you see uh, police unions or police organizations they, you know, they go to bat for police, understandably, because sometimes things happen, and it may not be entirely the officer's fault, or it may have genuinely been a mistake. But historically, we've heard about how police protect police. And sometimes you have those bad officers who get protected. Well, and, and that's why you have to this this code, this uh, code of silence mm -hmm. is, is something that did exist in police departments and probably exists in, in police departments today. And that's why it's important that officers understand that you can no longer stand around and watch another a, a brother officer or sister officer abuse the rights of citizens because right. you're culpable as well. And if we determine that that you stood around and did nothing as these officers did in the George Floyd case, you're going to be held accountable. You're going to be arrested. You're going to be indicted. You're going to jail. When I was the chief of internal affairs from New Orleans Police Department, we did integrity checks. We went out and, and set up uh, scenarios where we put officers undercover uh, and, and we sent officers out randomly or targeted uh, uh, and determined their behavior. Are they going to do the right thing or are they going to do the wrong thing? So we, we set the message that we're going to go, we're going to be proactive, that we're going to go out and set up those type of scenarios. Um, and we've identified officers who were rogue officers. Mm -hmm. We've identified officers who use excessive force. We've identified officers who were hired and, and went awry. And we arrested those police officers. Let me just say this. I have no problem arresting a bad officer mm -hmm. because, because he or she makes the whole organization looks bad. Right. And many officers, when they raise their right hand to uphold the laws, many officers want to do the right thing. And when you have a rogue officer, it's like a, it's like a, a, a cancer. You got to get rid of that person right away. The early warning system can do just that. Identify those officers. You can monitor them. You can target them. You can do a random uh, integrity check on them. And if they violate the law, they violate policy, then you deal with them accordingly. You don't wait until someone's lost their life or loses their life because of that person's action or inaction. So my question to you though, Dad, is it seems a lot of times that in these situations that happen, a lot of police officers say, I was in fear of my life. Do you think that's <clears throat> a valid excuse or that's just them trying to cover their behind? Because I mean, <clears throat> if you fear your life, you're in the wrong business. You know? the, law is very, the law is very clear on the use of force or the, the use of deadly force. There's a difference. Use of force may not be deadly force, but deadly force, your life has to be in imminent danger. The life of another person or your life has to be in imminent danger. You have to be able to articulate. You can't just say, well, my life was in danger. You have to be able to articulate and you have to present the facts and circumstances to support that, that your life was in imminent danger. And if your life wasn't, then of course, that force was excessive. 
Okay. But clearly, but, but just me saying my life is in danger and I use daily force, that's not, that's not going to fly because you, the circumstances have to coincide with that statement. Did the person have a weapon? Was the person uh, 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 posing a threat to you or another person? And was that deadly force necessary to stop the threat of that force? You know, because a person wants to fight you, stand up and, and fight you like a fighter, that is not the, that that does not justify the use of deadly force. That's why in the police academy they teach you uh, defensive tactics. They teach you how to uh, take someone into custody in a reasonable manner without using excessive force. So you can't. And there are a number of less than lethal options that you have uh, to use before you reach. The, that type of, of, of force. You have, of course, we'll get into the issue of tasers, pepper spray, uh, using the, your, your, your baton, using takedown measures without using, without endangering the life of, of another person. There are practices, the International Chiefs of Police Association uh, uh, have put out best practices for police departments around the country on what are the best practices to, to engage the public. And many police departments uh, through CALEA, which is the certification for police departments using best practices, have adopted those measures. And I think every police department across America, whether it's two police officers or 2,000 police officers, have to be able to uh, uh, address those issues. Training is critical. You know, you have to make sure that your officers recruit, re receive the required training annually, not just every five to 10 years. They have to meet national standards. So, I'm just sad to see, man. It really is. <clears throat> Wait, yeah, I, I agree. Ahead, it's always ahead, sad Martin. to see. So, looking at it personally, and there's been a lot of kind of talk and, you know, Ba going back and forth about the history of policing and things like that and they they take it back to like slavery and you know rounding up the escaped slaves and things like that bringing it all the way to today though being an african-american being black in the u.s as a police officer and then there, there's a lot of pieces that have come out about you know when i take my uniform off if they don't know me i'm just a black man and, and that's my, and, and let me just say this, sensitivity training, cultural awareness is critical for every police department in America. If you look at the George, the George Floyd incident, mm -hmm. you didn't see a black police officer out, out there. You didn't see, you didn't see someone from that community. You saw white officers uh, that were there with George Floyd. Mm -hmm. Police officers have to understand the culture of the community that they're policing. And that's where community policing comes. So that's why, in my estimation, and going back to the 1990s when Bill Clinton was president, he enacted the crime bill, which actually gave police departments millions of dollars to engage in community policing, to have officers understand their role in the community. Right now, traditional policing is not working. Okay. Traditional policing is statistically driven. How many arrests you made? How many traffic citations you read? How many cars you stopped? And that no longer works. Community policing is where you have to get the officers out of the cars, out of the cars with their condition and get this us against the mentality away from them. Because that's what's happening right now. Police officers get inside their, their squad cars and they roll their windows up and they turn their air conditioning on and it's us against them. That has to be, that has to eliminate. You have to get the officers in the community, walking beats, bicycle patrols, uh, substation where the community is working in a substation with officers, getting the officers to understand the root cause of the crime in their community. You know, you, you, if you got a corner, if you got a neighborhood where you got crack cocaine, you got prostitution, what is the root cause of those crimes? And that's where community policing comes in. Community policing is a philosophy of addressing the root causes. It's, it's labor intensive, don't get me wrong. It requires a lot of time on the offices to go out and okay, we got blighted housing, we got abandoned cars, we got poor lighting. Let me work with Department of Public Works. Let me work with the streets department. Let me improve the quality of life in this community and have the community work with me to make us to have the community as a sense of pride for them. And then you start to see drugs going down, 
prostitution being eliminated, shootings being eliminated, because the community now has an ownership in that community. Right. And that's what community policing, it's a philosophy. And you're graded on the community saying, yeah, my police department is meeting the needs that I, that I want them to have. Arresting people is a Band-Aid approach. It's, you fill the jails, you cost the taxpayers money, and a lot of people who are going to jail uh, are, are going to jail for misdemeanor offenses, are sitting in jail for 30, 60 days because they can't make bond, and it's costing taxpayers money when, yeah, don't get me wrong, there's some individuals who need to be in jail. There's some violent offenders who Absolutely. ought to be in jail. I'm, but, on, uh, but conversely, there are individuals who are in jail who should not be in jail. And it's costing money. It's costing them their job. It's costing them their family. It's costing the taxpayers tens of hundreds of thousands of dollars because the person can't make bond. So, thing. But there's something I didn't want, want to ask before, Martin, real quick. Go ahead, go ahead. Um, as far as the whole thing, as far as uh, accountability is, is concerned. So, on the TV show uh, Undisputed with Shannon Sharp, um, he had mentioned that maybe suggestion to have these officers be held accountable is say, for example, in these lawsuits and the settlements is concerned, the money should come out of the officer's pension. <clears throat> if that happens, do you think that could be a deterrent that, hey, I can't, I gotta watch my back as far as, you know, I shouldn't go about my way of, you know, being excessive with, you know, a black person that's unarmed, or do you think that that can actually work? I think that I think that I take money in their pension. I, I think that it, it should be open for discussion. I think that it is something that could be viable. I think it's the dialogue they need to bring it to the table and have our policymakers, our stakeholders talk about it to see what are the pros, what are the cons, uh, and will it have an impact on a reduction on officers using the excessive force, making officers more accountable to the public. Um, you know, one thing that, that police officers will say is that, well, I acted in good faith, therefore the city or the state or the federal government should protect me. And you make a valid point that maybe, that maybe we should hold officers accountable for their actions. If we can show that their actions were unjust, if we can show that the officers' actions didn't warrant that type of uh, force, if we can show that the officers acted in a criminal manner, yes, I think that those are the types of things that ought to be brought to the table, and, and there should be some very strong dialogue about that. I definitely agree. Just my personal experiences with police, uh, I remember one time I was stopped uh, on my way to school by two NOPD officers on Canal Street, and this was probably 2002, 2003, and they were, they were going to stop me for truancy when I had missed my bus because I was maybe 30 minutes late for school. I want to say it was probably like 8.30, 8.45 in the morning. I was catching a, a Ferret bus. I went to Forche at the time. And they stopped me and, you know, they were asking me questions and they were like, you know, truancy. And I was like, look, I got my doctor's note. I got my medicine. <laughs> I don't know what you want me to do. I'm just trying to catch a bus. And, you know, I, I, that experience wasn't bad. I walked away from it. Okay. They were like, all right, you know, just catch your bus, do what you got to do to get to school. I just know my, my dad was in law enforcement. Uh, my, my stepfather was in OPD for a long time. Um, and the conversations and the interactions I've had with police have been primarily good. I haven't had bad interactions that I can say. The one bad interaction I've ever had was with uh, Baton Rouge. But one of the things that one of the things that police officers, we used to train officers when I was at when I was over the uh, uh, the academy, mm -hmm. is that you got to tell people why they're being detained. Yeah. And, and and once you explain to someone why you're being detained, it kind of eases the tension. Right. And but not just show up and say, well, I'm the police. You do as I say right. that you've, you're escalating that process. But if I say, ma'am, good afternoon, good afternoon, sir, ma'am, sir, I'm stopping you because of this reason. Mm -hmm. Right. And then you go from there. But getting back to this whole thing about misdemeanors and, you know, uh, uh, is it warranted to even get, stop someone for a misdemeanor, given the culture and environment that we're in today, given the fact that we're trying to reduce jail population? Given the fact that we're trying to make sure that we go after the most violent offenders in this in the communities and hold them accountable, uh, a lot of misdemeanor offenses are things that would never see the light of day in court. So police officers have to use good judgment. Let me just say this: 
police officers have a tremendous amount of discretion, mm -hmm. a lot of discretion, a lot of authority. You know, police officers can, can go into a situation and remove someone's liberty, whether it be temporary or whether it be long-term. Uh, so there's an awesome amount of authority that comes with wearing that badge. And there's a lot of discretion. So the officer can stop you or he doesn't have to stop you on those types of offenses. So, and that's why we try to hold police officers to a higher standard, standard to say that because you have so much authority, because you have the ability to use deadly force, you have to, your, your level of standard has to be extreme compared to the average person and training and accountability and the checks and balances, all these things have to come into play. So speaking of that, and that's a, that's a great kind of segue into our next topic. Um, when we talk about communication and when we talk about these misdemeanor offenses, uh, Lieutenant Nazario was stopped in uh, Virginia for from my understanding and what I read of it, it was regarding his uh, license plate, his tags were not visible or the, the officers mm -hmm. at the time didn't see them. Now, I, I worked in the auto industry for seven years. When you purchase certain vehicles, especially like the vehicle he had with the Tahoe, a lot of time they come with tenant windows factory. And normally they're set to legal limits, but they can be very dark. And in the video, you could clearly see his tag in the top right side, the passenger side of <clears throat> the vehicle itself. Now, it seems like in that particular situation, the, 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 the stop was escalated from jump versus communicating that to him like, hey, we didn't see your tag. We don't see your tags. Your vehicle doesn't have any tags. Now, you, you say, you know, and I agree, communication could have solved that. It could have been a simple conversation of like, oh, here's my tag. And he could have went about his business and it wouldn't have been all that. But instead, it was consistent escalation by the police department. And I'll tell you what happened in that situation that mm -hmm. I think those officers were upset the fact that the citizen didn't stop at that moment when they asked him to pull right. over. The, the citizen was per perfectly within his or her right, and he did the right thing. Yeah. That because of the environment that we're in in America today with black uh, citizens being stopped and possibly the potential for something happening, he decided to drive to a lit service station mm -hmm. and engage the officers there. Now, I don't know how far they traveled from the point where they first made contact to the service station. I think they said uh, it was less than two miles. Okay, two, less than two miles. So I think right there, those officers were perturbed the fact that, that they, they, would, uh, they had driven two miles to this area, mm -hmm. uh, which the, the citizen was, was perfectly legal and perfectly justified in the, the method that he did. Um, you know, so... so I think that's where it was right there. So the officers should not take that personal. Right. The officers should have approached the vehicle and say the reason, first of all, I would have seen the, the, the temporary tag in the back window, number one. I mean, I right, saw right. it. Yeah. Number one. But then if I did stop, I would say, tell the driver why I'm stopping that person. Okay. There are methods, there are ways that you, they teach you how to approach a vehicles. And they're, they're felony stops or vehicle stops. You approach your vehicle from the side, from the rear. So you, there are ways you can protect yourself uh, without having to uh, escalate the situation and still hold the conversation with the driver without pulling your gun, without pulling your taser, without pepper spraying and holding a conversation. Because if you approach the vehicle from behind, that driver has to turn his head back and look behind. But you still can, you, you can stand by the rear driver's door and hold that conversation and still right. see inside the vehicle. Right. And it makes the driver in a, in, a, in a very awkward situation where he can't, if he were to do something wrong, he can't because he really can't see the officer, but you're still engaged in that conversation. Right. So it all goes back to training. It all goes back to early warning. It all goes back to making sure that when you hire police officers, that there's a thorough psychological uh, evaluation done on officers to make sure that there's a right fit for the job. Now, there are some officers, that, and I'll be the first to say, that should not be police officers uh, um, for some one reason or another. But there should be a clear recruiting effort that will weed out those possible candidates who are not a good fit for that department. And one of the things, going back to the gentleman driving, 
he did the right thing. He, he slowed down. He put his emergency flashes on. He drove to a lit area. And he did all the right things. When I would have gone a step further, I would have called 911 and told the dispatcher, look, I'm being followed by police officers. I'm going to this service station. Let your officers know what I'm doing. That's just an added caveat I would have done. But he did everything right. And I've and heard these that officers before. Still, mm-hmm. I've been told that before, you know, call, call 911 because right. they can they can relay that to the officer that is pulling them over right. and i've exactly actually right. I, i've done that myself because i was stopped on a highway and i pulled into a, I, I went maybe maybe a mile and a half down the road to a more lit area because i think i was coming out of fushan and if you ever been to fushan them highways long oh, and dark so oh, you know I, I pulled over to a service station that was shortly up the road and then you know gave them information and went about my way from there but that it's just one of those things that makes you cautious because there, there was the, the perception that you see a person of color driving a nice expensive vehicle, then you're a target. You are, and, and you have officers, first of all, the officers have to have reasonable suspicion to stop anyone. I, can, I just can't stop a car because a black male is driving a fancy car. Mm-hmm. There's, there's certain standards that officers have to meet. Terry versus Ohio, which, which tells when an officer can stop someone, detain someone. And there's three, there's three categories that the person was engaged in the crime that the person is about to commit a crime or the person has committed a crime those are the only three caveats to stopping a person detaining questioning and determining more information i can't stop you on a hunch i can't profile you i can't do those those are not standards that the courts recognize and they're illegal so in, in that particular situation where he did everything correct pulled to a lit area, put his flashes on, you know, communicated with the officers. He, he in no way escalated the situation. What, what options as citizens do we have when you're not law enforcement, you don't have any connections to law enforcement or anything like that? What options do we have, you know, besides, like you mentioned, calling 911 and letting them know what you're doing? Like what? what well, let me, let me just say, let me say, at three in the morning, four in the morning, mm-hmm. uh, you're stopped by a police officer. The best advice I can give anyone is to comply with the officer's uh, commands or demands because you're not going to win that dispute at three in the morning mm-hmm. on a dog highway by yourself. Right. You're not going to do that. So you comply mm-hmm. You in the next morning. You handle it with due process. You go to the courts, you go through the internal affairs, you call the FBI, you call the Department of Justice. You call, so there are other methods that you can, you can, you can uh, address at a later date. And, but to, to try to handle a situation at three in the morning by yourself, I would not recommend that. You know, let me just, I was stopped um, about a month ago on the industry. I was going to uh, Florida and uh, about one in the morning and, uh, uh, the state trooper pulled me over. The first thing I did was I turned the dome light on. I rolled the window down. I put my hand, and I'm a police officer. Right. I, uh, I rolled the window down and I put my hands out of the window. And it, because it's one o'clock in the morning, it's a dark highway between right past Pensacola, and I complied with his commands. So that is something that I, I can't instill upon us enough that we have to be able to address those issues in, 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 in a, at a later time in a, in a different court. I remember dad always told me growing up that, hey, no matter what the officer tells you, listen to what he says, because I'd rather, you know, pick you up from jail than bury you. Absolutely. I really appreciate uh, yeah. that. And that's critical. I can't tell you, particularly as a young African-American male driving a nice car, um, comply and we'll deal with the, uh, the ticket or we'll deal with the other issues at a later date. Because uh, at three in the morning, you know, they, the officers have the upper hand. Unfortunately, um, some officers are not uh, uh, or may do the wrong thing. So comply. So with yeah, that, I've been, and- uh, go ahead. My bad. Uh, I just want to say this real quick. Uh, I've been fortunate enough. I've been stopped uh, a couple of times and I show my ID. Like, oh, you're my son? I'm like, yeah, okay. <laughs> have a good day. <laughs> I'm like, all right, good day. The benefit of the name. 
<laughs> I don't know anything about that. So, <laughs> so I was. Uh, let me just say, look, I was never notified, so I can't. I'm not gonna put. The, I'm gonna put a disclaimer yeah. on that one. You know, I'm gonna <laughs> say this. My my dad was a sheriff's deputy in Plaquemines Parish many many years ago before I was born, and I'm not gonna lie, that helped me out once or twice myself. So, <laughs> you know, it's uh, you know, oh, you know, it's just it's helpful when people know people, especially you know when they. I guess you could say they know the character of the people they pull over. You know, right. but you know that. But the, unfortunately, that shouldn't that shouldn't have to be the case. I think right. every citizen should should be afforded the right of a right. of a safe environment. Whether mm -hmm. you know someone or you don't know someone, exactly. um, you should be treated the same. And 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 that's important is that the officers should maintain a highest level of professionalism and address uh, every citizen with dignity and 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 honesty. There should be no implicit bias or or absolutely or, yeah. So my my thought and talking about this particular situation when you say comply uh and you mentioned you know you wrote in your particular instance when you were stopped you rolled your windows down you put your dome light on there you put your hands out the window you know so that the officer see there was no threat nothing like that right. so it i go back to uh we see these these videos pop up on social media and youtube where the individuals that are pulled over, they they usually seem very combative, and I, I I'm when I think I don't I, it doesn't serve any purpose to be combative with the police off the top, mm -hmm. uh, but what they do is they say you know all you legally are obligated to do is to roll your window down enough to allow for communication for it to not be an impediment to communication. You know, let, let me just say that, uh, and and you're right, but. It's three o'clock in the morning. Right. It's on a, on a desolate highway. Mm -hmm. There's only two people out there. It's you and the police officer. Right. And he's giving you commands, or she's giving you commands to comply with, with stepping out of the vehicle, showing your identification. Mm -hmm. What I, the point I'm trying to make is, fight that fight another day. Right. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. You're no. You're not going to win that mm -hmm. fight. That's all and, I'm saying. Yeah. Look, get out of the car. You may not agree with it, and you may be upset with it. But you know what? Get his or her badge number. The next morning, you got so many different vehicles you can use to to, to deal with that issue. Mm -hmm. You can call Internal Affairs. You can call the Department of Justice. You can call the FBI. You can call the news media. So the point I'm just trying to make is that you're not going to win that that situation at three in the morning. I think it's and I think that's one thing that when you bring that up, you talk about the different vehicles and avenues that people have for situations like that. I think a lot of time we as citizens are just uninformed because you right, feel right. like, I, I know just personally, I, I've become more cognizant, especially being a father now, having two sons, you know, two right. black sons who, you know, my oldest son is nine years old, but he's almost five feet tall. You know, you know something. There's so many ways you become an activist. Right. Just a, a, be a, be an activist. Say, look, I was stopped. I was I was mistreated. I want to have my voice heard. I want to help other people. I want to I want to start a movement as people the Black Lives Matter movement mm -hmm. and other types of movements and and be heard at a later date. If something happens at, on the highway at three in the morning, there's nothing your you voice can really is not going to. There's nothing you can do. Your, your voice may not be heard. Right. Right. So that could be the last time you say day. anything. Yeah. Exactly. Live another day. For your voice to be heard. Yeah, so I definitely, and I, I think that's a that's a fair point, and that's something we as citizens, you know, we could one, we need to educate ourselves more about rights and responsibilities. I I, I have said many times, I feel like that's not something taught enough in school. I know my civics class didn't teach a lot on you know your personal rights and responsibilities. We got the Bill of Rights, but that was about it. So and they didn't go into a lot of depth of it. So that's that's definitely right. something becoming more aware and becoming more knowledgeable about the avenues we can take in these situations that we're facing right now. So absolutely. Speaking of inter interactions, uh, the the situation involving um, Dante Wright, uh, another young black male in uh, in Minnesota. Um, it's. You, we've talked about misdemeanor stops. We've talked about the situations where it almost doesn't make sense for police. It's a cost to manpower. It's a cost to officers. It's a cost to taxpayers. It, it costs us as a, a civilization, a community, so much 
just to police these really simple offenses. You know, we have traffic cameras now that'll stop you for turn making a wrong turn at a red light right. and they'll get you for speeding. Let me just say, I think with the, with the, with the uh, Dante Wright situation, and maybe uh, I stand to be corrected if I'm wrong, the reason why they stopped him was because of an air freshener dangling from yes. the rearview mirror. Am I yes. correct? Yes. Right. Now, yeah, exactly. that clearly is a law on the ordinance that needs to be removed from the books because that it's not obstructing the rearview mirror. And to me, that stop should have never occurred. Should have never occurred for that type of a, not a misdemeanor offense. So somebody in the city council should have an ordinance uh, adopted next week now to remove that that dated or that illegal uh, process. Uh, but let's talk about the, the police officer with 26 years of service. Right. Let me tell you what the process is when you to, to carry a taser. Uh, taser International was the primary company that, that distributed uh, tasers to police departments across America. There is a training process you have to go through to carry a taser. You have to first be tased to get the feel of the taser. The taser certainly is, is it weighs uh, ounces, not pounds as a, as a, as a, your service weapon. It is on your opposite, it is on the odd side of your gun belt. Your primary weapon is on your, your, your strong hand. If you're right-handed, your, your service weapon is on your right side. Your mm -hmm. taser is on the left and it's reversed. If you notice the taser, the handle is, is in the opposite direction. That's, that's done for a purpose to make it an awkward situation. If you have to draw your taser, you know you're reaching for your taser, not your firearms. So I want to I want to uh, interrupt there because that that I saw that because I looked at an image of the police belt with all the items attached to it, you know, clips, batteries, taser, gun, baton, spray, things like that. And so in my mind, not being law enforcement, not having any background in it, would you if if you're a first response in a situation and the the use of force. The, the situation is escalated, but not to the point where it determines deadly force. Why would you not want the taser on the dominant side? Well, that, it goes back to training. Mm -hmm. And it goes back to training that certainly, that, and that's why they, you train so much with right. your taser. You train so much with your firearm. Um, you know, my 40 years of experience in police department, in, in the police department, that's the way to train. Now, I'm not saying that's the right way. I'm saying right. that that's the way it's that's just the, done. That's the way it's but done. Right. But let me just say that the stop should have never happened. Right. Let's forget about everything else. Let's forget about the taser. Let's forget about the firearm. The stop should have never happened. And that's for the problem that I have is for a, a air freshener that was hanging from the rearview mirror. Come on. So, but but now with this officer reaching for her taser. <laughs> yeah, it's just Pretty sad. Yeah. For the officer reaching for a taser and she reaches for a service weapon, it's apples and oranges. I don't know if you ever heard, if you ever held a weapon, yes. a firearm and a and, and a taser. Yes, I it's, I've, it's, I've both. It's, they they it's feel completely different. The They're grain different. of a handgun feels completely different. The stock different. of it, the weight of it, it's it's entirely different from a taser. Like right. different. Now I will say this in, in Dante Wright's situation, he was 90 minutes past. Uh, the curfew, a mandated curfew. So would that have made for him to be pulled over for an air freshener? It it that, that's what they say, but at the same time they're they're making it more about he was out ninety minutes past curfew because it was a mandatory. Well, I, I, I think what they're trying to do right now is trying to justify the stop. Mm -hmm. But the problem you have, mm -hmm. I think, is that yeah. Let me tell you, common sense is 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 invaluable. I mean, common you know, it's something that the stop should never happen. Uh, or if you're going to stop uh, Mr. Wright, or you're going to stop anyone, you have to explain in a, in wow. a very professional manner why. Right. Why? Mm -hmm. Good afternoon, sir. I'm stopping you because you have a you have an air freshener that's illegal, or you you're past the curfew. You can explain to me why you're out. People, that's all people want. People want respect, and people want communication. And Mr. Wright was not a criminal. Uh, uh, so he didn't fit the profile of a criminal, someone that's that you should have incarcerated, someone that you should have tased or shot or, or pepper sprayed or whatever the case may be. So, so mm -hmm. I, I, I want to interject this as well. So 
at this point, and just going back, reviewing the article and everything we said, so I would say there's three instances where, well, two instances where really he was possibly in the wrong. One 90 minutes past curfew, and but this goes back <laughs> to what said about being a misdemeanor. His tags was expired. And at that point, right, that, that, is that is that something, you know, and then, of course, you add the no air fresheners hanging from the rear, rear view mirror, which is which is. Well, let me address. Let me let me address. I think I've addressed the air freshener that I right. think that law should be removed immediately from the right. books. The, the the tag, as I understand right. it, the state of, um, of Minnesota said that because of COVID, they will backlog on giving current tags out to citizens. The police department should have received a memo from the state and mm -hmm. passed it to their officers through roll call training that we're not going to enforce the the uh, the, the license plate tags until the state says they're up to date. That's a communication issue. Right. There's a breakdown in the communication from management to the officers. That's a that would have been a fixable event right. to say that we're not going to enforce that. So if you see a tag that's not current, and that's the only reason why you're stopping that vehicle. They don't stop it. Right. So, but let's eliminate that. The, the, the air freshener thing is, is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And if you were going to stop the person for a curfew violation, then articulation, communication, I'm stopping you because it's you're 90 minutes or 60 minutes past the curfew. Where are you going? Do you have an emergency? Um, you don't know why this young man was, was in a car. Could he have been going to the pharmacist? Could he have been going to a doctor? Who knows? Um, so curfews are not, curfew violations are not felony offenses. Mm -hmm. They're misdemeanors. They're not felonies. So with that, so from that, so in his in his particular situation, you get stopped. Now, would they would that have warranted a citation or some form of ticket or something like that? You know, they did stop him at that point. Had they explained to him like this is what it is? You know, this is a, this is against ordinance or however you know the well it's it, it would have been a site if if the department calls for a citation i don't think it would have been a, an arrestable offense no mm -hmm. i think that it would have been mm -hmm. if, at the bare minimum it, at the bare minimum it would have been a, a citation or a summons to appear in court for curfew and or the violation of the air freshener or even so far as this the expired tag which would have been dismissed anyway because the state was back right so at the bare minimum it would have been a citation and I think that's even a stretch. But how did we get to this point? That's the question that I think many people are asking. How did we get to this point of even stopping this young man? Because right. when you talk about prioritization in police departments, I mean, I know for, for New Orleans, we have so many other social, we have so many other ills that we have to address before we even stop someone for an air freshener or a spy tag. I mean, you got carjackings, right. you have shootings, you have homicides, you have sexual assaults. So you have to prioritize your department to what is pressing. What is the most pressing need in the department? So yeah. with that stop, and then, and then Marley, you can go right after this. Um, they, I, I'm assuming they ran his name. They, they requested his information. And they said that he had a gross misdemeanor warrant. If you could explain what that is and what should have happened, I guess, from there. Well, most police departments now are getting away from arresting anyone on the, on the misdemeanor warrant because of that very reason. Was the warrant dated? Uh, could you have issued this person a summons or redirect, which we've done in the past, redirect that person the next morning to go to whether it be traffic court or mm -hmm. state court on this particular war municipal warrant or misdemeanor warrant? Right. Uh, I know in New Orleans, we, we did a study with the Vera Institute on misdemeanor offenses. And there's a move to get away from arresting people for misdemeanor uh, marijuana, mm -hmm. misdemeanor outstanding traffic warrants, misdemeanor municipal offenses, because we recognize that incarcerating someone for those types of misdemeanor warrants is, is counterproductive. You're clogging the jail system at the taxpayers' expenses. If this person has a job and can't make bond, they're, they're arrested, they sit in jail, they lose their, they lose their employment. It affects their family. It, it's a whole trickle effect. So, or, and also more importantly, I know in New Orleans, we've had warrants, or we do have warrants that are dated, warrants that are 10, 20 years old. So, and that case would never get to court. So the, the, there should be a purging system to go in and say, okay, any, any misdemeanor warrants that are X number of years old, 
we ought to get rid of those. And I think the district attorney is doing that right now on right. old cases. He's trying to clean up his backlog because he recognizes that these cases are not winnable anyway. And we're just clogging this, we're clogging the criminal justice system. So it's important that we recognize what's part, what's important in the community. And that's where community policing comes into play. You ask the community, how can we police you? What can we do to serve you as a community? And one of the things is that let's let's try to work together as, as in a partnership on addressing violent crime, in addressing quality of life issues, in addressing issues that make our community uh, wholesome, and there's a sense of ownership. Having the police officers live in the community where they work, not not leave a community at five in the afternoon and go across the lake and shut it off and not to come, you come back to work the next morning. There is no ownership, there's a disconnect. So you want the officers to live in the community where they work. And that's really important. Yeah, I mean, that sounds really good. I like the idea. It's just, how can you how can you convince the community to get on board with that? I feel like right now, a lot of people feel like they cannot trust the police because of what's happening right now. So how well, can right now? How, yeah, go ahead. Well, relations are strained right now. They're strained. It's going to take time. And what the police department's got to do is in a very slow and methodical manner, engage the public in a positive way, have meetings, have events, get the officers walking in neighborhoods, knock on doors, ask folks, uh, what can we do to help you? Address the quality of life issues. Let's get rid of blight, abandoned housing. If you got a neighborhood that's, that's totally decimated with, 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 with uh, cars that are junk, um, grass that's overgrown, well, let's work with the community to get those things done. And you start to foster a better relationship with the community. And then you start to foster trust. You start to have officers and the community working toward one goal. But the officers have to have an investment in the community. They have to live there. You know, you have to just go sit by the Causeway Bridge at five o'clock and watch how many New Orleans NLPD cars go across the bridge to St. Tammany or oh, yeah. go toward Baton Rouge. I mean, th that's what I'm talking about. And those cars, are paid for by the people who live in New Orleans, or the taxpayers. So when I park that mock unit in St. Tammany in Covington, who do you think benefits from that? Who do you think? It's not the people from New Orleans. Right. It's the, it benefits the, the residents of St. Tammany or Baton Rouge or Gonzalez or, or uh, Reserve. Those, those cars should be in New Orleans. Or in, if it's a St. Tammany car, it's, it should be in St. Tammany. If it's a Baton Rouge car, it should be in Baton Rouge. But those officers should work in the same community where they live. So looking at the situation now and where we're at socially with policing, how, besides obviously, you know, officers living in the communities, living in the, the cities and the parishes and counties and municipalities they work in. What are some ways that citizens can get more involved? Um, you well, know, I, well when, when you talk about citizen engagement, when you talk about, um, uh, you know, one of the things that we did in the 1990s and the, the late 90s, we, we formed substations mm -hmm. and we had the community volunteer in the substations and they were coming in, working with the officers hand in hand starting partnerships, uh, starting uh, 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 the Cops for Kids program, the program where we were mm -hmm. working with kids, athletic program, getting kids involved in sports where police officers are mentors. Though we've gotten away from those types of programs. Yeah. Where we, we had police officers with a band, with the talent show, where the, the young folks were, were playing musical instruments and the officers were working with them. Uh, you had juveniles that maybe had well, minor offenses in juvenile court where the courts assigned police officers as mentors working with doing bed checks at night, calling the moms and dads and say, okay, I'm just checking on your son or your daughter, how things are going, everything's okay. Those are the kind of things that we've gotten away from. You, and you know, we've gotten back to, to, to uh, traditional policing, which is not working. So obviously at this point, we see that and, and just from our conversation, policing needs to change. We're at this intersection of how do we become better community partners? And how do we hold each other accountable? Looking at 
where <laughs> where the Chauvin trial is going, he was charged and arrested and his particular situation. Uh, we have to see how Lieutenant Nazario's situation plays out. And then the officer with uh, who shot Dante Wright, you know, she was arrested. I believe she she resigned from the police force prior to being arrested. Right. So let me. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things is that we need the, the, the police need the public and the public need the police. Uh, they have to work hand in hand. The police can't be uh, heavy handed. The police can't go into communities using a, a, a big stick approach. Right. Uh, the, and, and the public has to be able to work comfortably with the police. Um, there was some, I guess someone was, there was some reports where some people were, were saying abolish the police. We don't need the police. Well, yes, we do. Because there's some bad people out there that will hurt everyone, that will hurt good law-abiding people. We need, we need the police, Absolutely. but the police need to act. The police need to act in a way that is constitutionally correct, that it is professional, that they are professional, that they're being properly trained, they're being vetted to be police officers, and they understand what their roles and responsibilities are to protect the public. We are public servants. They are public servants. Our job is to go out and serve the public in the best possible manner without abusing, using abusive tactics. Uh, or we're gonna be held accountable. And that's, that's as simple as it gets. Basically. So, but my final question for you, Dad, is yeah, it sounds good. Everything sounds good. But my concern really is once they come, they get arrested and they're tried, they don't get the proper you know, sentencing. Like, for example, uh, Kim Potter, she was charged with manslaughter, which, I mean, we all think that was his best BS. Um, Chauvin is charged with, uh, I think, second degree murder, I believe. Uh, I can't remember mm-hmm. exactly. But do you trust the justice system to really try these people? Well, I, I think that the, the, the district attorney's office, first of all, the district attorneys, whether it be in Minnesota or uh, uh, any other jurisdiction, they, they have the final say-so on uh, what the appropriate charge will be. And I would hope that the elected district attorney will use the greater offense and hold these offices accountable. Now, if there is a federal violation of, under civil rights, under the color of law, then the federal government, the Department of Justice can step in. And that's not to say that it's not too late for them to step in either, that they can step in and hold those officers accountable on the federal level for civil rights violations. So we would hope that the district attorneys across America will uh, uh, use the appropriate response when, the, when it warrants, when that an officer steps out of line and does something inappropriate, that the appropriate charge is made available, not some reduced or watered down charge, no. So looking at, and Marlon, to your point about uh, Derek Chauvin's charges, he's charged with second degree murder, third degree murder, and second degree manslaughter. And they're saying the most serious charge, if convicted, he could face 10 and a half to 15 years under the current sentencing guidelines for first time offenders. Mm-hmm. But he could receive a lesser term. Well, it's going to be up to the, the judge will make a decision on that. Unless there's some mandated sentencing by, uh, in, in that state, mm-hmm. then if there is a discretion that the judge has, the judge will weigh all of the circumstances. Right. He will weigh all of the facts and then he will make a determination on what the appropriate sentence will be. But if there's a mandatory sentencing process, then that discretion is taken from the judge. But if there isn't, then the judge, I would hope that the judge will weigh those circumstances, will look at the totality of what happened, look at the suffering that George Floyd, George Floyd went through, look at the, the, how much harm that he has done to the community and, you, and, and have all of these factors play into his sentencing. But I think he is under the microscope as well. To, uh, if he is convicted on these counts, right. now the ball is in his court. What are you gonna do? So moving forward, and this is kind of my final question and thought, um, do you think being that the police hold such a high position in, 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 in our society, you know, because of their ability to take away someone's rights and because of their ability to do the things that they do as law enforcement officers, 
should there be harsher punishments versus in Chauvin, in Derek Chauvin's situation, he could face maximum 10 and a half to 15 years, but it could be reduced. Should there be a higher standard and harsher punishments for law enforcement officers who do break the law? P police officers should be held to a higher standard because of what you just said. Every police, uh, I, if, if, if an officer wasn't held to a higher standard, I would be very uncomfortable with that because the officers, are, the officers have an awesome amount of responsibility. They have the, you know, keep in mind to use deadly force, law enforcement officers are the only ones that, that are, don't have to go through due process to use deadly force. Think about this for a second. A person is convicted of, 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 of first degree murder and sentenced to death. The process he has to go through in the court system, he has to go through the appeals process. He has to go through the Supreme Court. That may, 10, may take 10 to 20 years before they even get to the point where he may be or she may be put to death in the court system. But an officer who's working on the street can decide at that moment whether daily force is used, is necessary, and take someone's life. Now, I would hope and pray that, that, that when he or she decides to use daily force, that they are completely justified in the use of that force, that their life wasn't in imminent danger, that the life of someone else was in imminent danger. But they can go right to daily force without having to go to a due process. That's why the higher standard is critical. And yes, I think that if an officer is found guilty, that an officer did violate his, his oath of office, that an officer did act inappropriate, that yes, I think the penalty should be harsher, absolutely. Well, that's... Well, I can only hope, right? I mean, well, you, know... We're gonna, you know, we're going to keep we're going to keep working at this, and certainly, it, it's going to take people like you all to and us to keep to keep yelling and screaming and, and saying that we have to have justice. That make sure that you're not stopped because of the color of your skin. Mm -hmm. You know that there has to be something there other than the person driving black. That it's, that's not going to happen anymore. That's something that should not happen. Yeah, I 100% I agree. And I think the the culture that we live in now, the the ability to hold people accountable in that instant with video recordings and audio recordings, and we know body cams aren't always reliable because they can be just as easily turned off. Uh, I think as long as we continue to be active and socially responsible, we'll, it'll give us the opportunity and the ability to advance policing through community policing, like you said, and then help be a help to police. Because I think the one thing I've taken away from our conversation today is we we don't have, we have a lack of communication. We have a communication problem Absolutely. at at every level from <clears throat> management to police officers to community. And there is no trickle down of information, which I, I really see in my opinion, has been the major issue in a lot of these instances. So. One of the things that Congress has to do, and, and the, the federal government has let the states and the municipalities govern how they're going to how they're going to police their communities. Mm -hmm. uh, and the only thing the federal government acts is that an officer uh, 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 does not violate the constitutional rights of citizens, their first, second, their fourth, the fifth, their sixth amendment rights, the fourteenth amendment rights, and so forth. Um, uh, what there needs to be is national federal standards on uh, use of force techniques, use of force, uh, uh, early warning, making it mandatory. Because some police departments don't have early warning systems. Right. That's left up to the individual police department. Now, if you enter into a consent decree, federal consent decree, then the federal government will say you have to, you, there's 140 different uh, items that you have to comply with. But that is only if the department is in trouble. But again, you got over 18,000 police departments in America. Everyone's acting on their own, uh, hopefully their own good policies. Right. And that's why it's important that you have the, like the International Chiefs of Police Association, where you have CALEA, which is the uh, Commission on Accreditation for Law Enforcement Agencies, where, which are best practices. You're not mandated to be CALEA certified because it, it does cost money. But some people can't meet those, some agencies can't meet those standards. So they're left out there hoping that nothing bad happens. That's why there needs to be national standards on policing. 
that are mandated for every police department in America to follow, not just leave it up to the states and not leave it up to the, to the each individual uh, municipalities. It's not working. Well, I think that's a that that's a fine point to put a pin on, put a button on it, and wrap it up at that point. Uh, sir, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for My your pleasure. insight and your wisdom and your input and your your thoughts. It's it's definitely enlightening, and I look forward to everyone listening to this and taking away things that can help them move forward throughout and you know throughout life. Yeah, and, and like I said, we're in this together. And everyone has to be held accountable. If we have to be held accountable as citizens, then the police department, the police departments have to be held accountable as an organization. And when, they are, when an officer or an officers uh, step out of line, then they have to be held accountable. I mean, that's the bottom line. I can't say it better myself. But yeah, Dad, I appreciate you coming on. It means a lot. My pleasure. A lot of insight. It really does mean a lot. Thank you. Thank you for having me, guys. Appreciate you. Thank you very much. Absolutely. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, that's another episode of the Daily Dollar Show podcast. And we are out. Thanks. And that's another episode. Give us a like and follow on Facebook and Instagram at Daily Dollar Show Podcast. And listen to us wherever you listen to your podcast on Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and more.